Hello, everybody, uh, and welcome. Let's get going with this review. Uh, so you can find the review on eClass. This is a Google Doc. Uh, please make it uh, your own um, item, and don't. Um, I'm not taking it up or anything, so uh, you don't have to do that kind of stuff. But uh, please be sure that you uh, you make your own copy. So make your own copy of the uh, review. It's on eClass. Once again, it's on the front page, and it is a Google Doc. Uh, all right, well, let's get rolling uh, with the review. Uh, now that you've had a few minutes, I talk about it for a few minutes so that, or a few seconds so that you can have time to, to find it if you're going to find it. Uh, all right, so this test is on the legislative branch and a little bit about elections and some finance stuff. We didn't get into too much detail about it uh, because it's not a huge part of our AKS. So, yes, it's there, <clears throat> and you do have to know it, uh, and it could potentially pop up on our, uh, uh, our final exam. But at the end of the day, uh, there just wasn't, uh, there's not, we're, we didn't put a lot into this test. Alrighty. Uh, all right. So we start off with the House and the Senate, the nuts and bolts. Okay. So just what are some of the basics of the, uh, the House and the Senate? I'm not asking you in this, on this test, or we're not asking you on this test to go into a huge amount of detail uh, about these things. You got to know the basics. All right. Uh, so first off, the requirements. Now let's do them separately. So the House has a requirements and then the Senate has some requirements. The House... You have to be 25 years old. You have to have been a citizen for seven years and you have to live in the state that you're gonna run it, okay? Uh, on the Senate side, you gotta be 30. You gotta have been a citizen for nine years and you'll have to live in the state uh, that you're going to run it. So uh, those are the big requirements, okay? So an age, house 25, Senate 30, seven years a citizen, nine years a citizen, and then live in the state that you're going to run in. Um, that's it. Okay. Those are the, the three big requirements. Uh, numbers. There's 435 House members. So 435 House members, and there's 100 senators. Okay. The House is based on our populations. So each state and the population numbers they report in the census that just got taken in 2020, um, those numbers will determine how many House seats you have. Georgia has 14, uh, and we're going to stay at 14, okay? Uh, on the Senate side, it's equal. Every state has two, two senators, uh, always and forever, all right? So right now there's 100 senators. Unless we add states, it'll stay that way. Okay, leadership. <coughs> um, this is kind of a long winding path here, so let's be sure you, you pay attention uh, and take care to kind of understand um, the leadership. Alrighty. So on the House side, let's start on the House side. The House, the main leader, the most important position, probably all of Congress, you know, House and Senate, is going to be the Speaker of the House. All right. So it's only a House thing. There is no uh, Speaker of the Senate. So please don't say that ever. All right. There is only a Speaker of the House. So the Speaker of the House runs the House. Uh, they dictate uh, who's going to be on what committee. They work uh, very closely with some of the committees. Uh, what's going to happen to some of the, the, the bills that are in, 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 uh, being looked at and things like that. Uh, sets the schedule. Uh, just th they're, they're the person. They are that person. Okay. Uh, right under them, you have the majority leader. So uh, you, the, the, the majority party, which right now is the Democrats, they've elected someone who's basically the right-hand person uh, of the Speaker of the House. Okay. 
Uh, and then you've got something called whips. And now both the majority and minority parties have whips, but they are just kind of the, they're right below the majority leader uh, and they will assist them. And they're kind of a go between. Okay. Uh, you know, if I'm an everyday house member from Georgia, I'm not going to stroll up to the speaker's house. I mean, not the speaker's house, the speaker of the house's office and be like, I need to talk to you. Okay. I'm going to have to go to the whip first. And then the whip would, would, um, you know, decide, does that need to go up the chain or can I just you know, handle it or deal with it or whatever it might be? So uh, they are, I don't want to say an assistant, but they are going to assist there. Uh, they're going to help round up votes, get an idea of who's voting in which way, who do we need to talk to, who do we need to twist arms of, and things like that. Okay. Now on the House side, there's also a minority leader. So the Republicans right now have a minority leader. There's really not much they can do because of the setup of the House, the way it's designed, with votes and, and the way the debate works and all that kind of stuff, there's not much they can do. Okay. So they're, they're just there waiting until they potentially can be the Speaker of the House or the Majority Leader. They also have whips. On the Senate side, now the constitutional leader of the Senate is the Vice President, but they're never there. So they have a figurehead called the, called the President Pro Tempore, which is just kind of a, a figurehead. And then they have a Majority Leader and a Minority Leader. Those two are supposed to work together. All right. So the majority leader and the minority leader are supposed to work together, but we've kind of got to a point where we're so divided down political lines that really the majority leader takes the lead and kind of runs the Senate. Okay. Uh, the VP, the vice president will only show up when there's a tie uh, in the Senate. Okay. So the majority leader, minority leader, they're a little more equal than on the house side where the minority leader can't do much of anything. Okay. Um, and so, uh, they are supposed to have discussions about what's going to happen, uh, but typically, or not typically, but we've got to a point where the majority leader really runs things. And then the Senate also has whips. Okay. Uh, constituents. All right. The House, they have districts. Uh, we are a part of the 7th District. Our House uh, member is Carolyn Bordeaux. Uh, she just won election in 2020. We had been um, by Rob Woodall. Who <laughs> was a Republican? He chose not to run in 2020, so it was up for grabs. Carolyn Bordeaux, Democrat, won. Uh, but we're the constituents. So me and you, you're you're going to be voting probably um, in the next couple of elections. Uh, you're constituents, okay? Uh, and our representatives are supposed to do you know what we ask, what we want. Um, I shouldn't say what we ask and what we want, but they're supposed to have an idea of what we need, what our feelings are, how we feel about bills and laws, and they're supposed to kind of help us out. <clears throat> and they have a much smaller area. Now, the senators have a much tougher job because the senators, well, they have to represent a whole state. So for our two senators, they have to represent about, you know, somewhere between 10 to 12 million people. I'm not sure what Georgia's population is right now. Okay. Uh, the term length, the House members have two years. All right. And the senators have six years. So House is two years. Senate is six. Now, the House runs every two years. So all four and 35 members of the House will run in 2022. Then whoever wins in 2022 will run again in 2024. And then 2026, it's every two years. It's a constant cycle. It is a grind to be a House member, okay? Because you get elected and then really constantly having to worry about, well, I need to get reelected. On the Senate side, you got six years. And uh, four senators, it's a third of the Senate runs every six years. I mean, excuse me. Sorry, uh, a third runs every two years. Okay, so we had one senator, John Ossoff, win in 2020. He doesn't have to run again until 2026. 
Now, we do have a second senator that won in 2020. That's Raphael Warnock. He's having to run again here in 2022. That's because his seat is a part of that third. Um, just real quick, um, because I know people are going to ask questions about this at some point, and they might ask you because you're in gov class. In 2018, Johnny Isaacson won that seat. Okay. Uh, he retired because of health. When that happens, the governor from the state gets to pick the next senator. Governor Kemp picked Kelly Leffler. Kelly Leffler, because she was a special pick, had to run in the next election. Because she was picked in 2019, she had to run in 2020. She lost to Raphael Warnock in 2020. So now Raphael Warnock's seat is back up for re-election in 2022. So don't let people tell you, well, Raphael Warnock's being treated differently. Um, he is just his seat. It's not the person. Okay, it's the seat that has to run. It's not the person. So he's up for re-election for that reason. All righty. Uh, <clears throat> term limits. There are no term limits. You can run and win as many times as you want to. You could win in the House at 25 years old. So in seven years, you could run and you could spend the next 50 years, okay, uh, being a House member if you can win re-election. There are no uh, term limits. Congressional powers. Uh, impeachment. Congress can impeach the president. Now, there is a process. You need to know this, okay? The House draws up articles of impeachment. A simple majority vote makes it go, all right? So, um, President Trump was impeached twice. That means the members of the House drew up articles because they thought he had done something wrong, and they voted on it. Simple majority got them passed. Once that passes, once those articles of impeachment passes, it then goes to the Senate. The Senate has to make the decision, and they have a trial and all that kind of stuff. They have to make the decision, should this person be kicked out? Okay, it takes a two-thirds vote on the Senate side. So House, simple majority to pass impeachment, and you've been impeached. All right? To actually get kicked out, though, the Senate, by a two-thirds vote, has to call, find you guilty. We have not had a president found guilty yet because it's usually done partisan lines. That means Republicans versus Democrats. The veto override. <clears throat> so uh, if the president gets a law and is like, I'm not going to pass that, I'm not going to sign it, um, I'm going to veto it. If Congress really wants it done, they can override it. It has to be a two-thirds vote of the full Congress. So 435 on the House side, 100 on the Senate. That's going to be 535. So two-thirds of 535. Uh, that's... My math is very bad, like 460, 467, maybe something like that. It's a big number, and it's tough to get. Declare war. Both sides have to declare war. The president cannot declare war. It has to be both the House and the Senate. And then you've got advice and consent. Um, advice and consent, this is usually the – well, this is the Senate really only um, because when the president makes an appointment, uh, whether it be a judge, a um, cabinet member, whatever it might be, they have to go through the Senate. They have to be – uh, voted on and approved there. Same thing with treaties. Treaties that the president might make with other countries have to be approved by the Senate. That's what advice and consent means. Uh, the filibuster. Filibuster is a Senate-only rule, and it allows them unlimited debate. The goal of a filibuster is to uh, talk a bill to death. Let's delay as much action as uh, <clears throat> as much action on this bill as possible, because as they filibuster, work behind it starts to fill up. Okay, because they're looking at thousands of bills. They've got a lot of work to get done in the session. If it doesn't get passed during the session, then it has to start all over. And that's a huge process, and people don't want to do that. So that's why the filibuster is a powerful tool. Now, it can be ended by something called a cloture vote. Uh, a cloture vote, I make a motion, say, hey, uh, I'd like to end debate, and let's vote on the issue right now. 
So if 60 people say yes to my cloture motion, then we'll have a, a vote on the issue. We'll end debate. Debate will end and we're done. Citizens United versus FEC. Citizens United was a conservative group, is a conservative group, <clears throat> and they were making a movie about Hillary Clinton back when she was running for office for presidency uh, against Barack Obama on the Democratic side in 2008. Um, they made a movie, did not make her look very good. Okay. Uh, it gets stopped by the FEC. The FEC says, hey, you took money. Uh, I should, that is, they took donations from businesses, corporations, and groups like that. And they said, that's illegal. That's a violation of one of the campaign finance reform acts that had been passed <clears throat> in 2002. Citizens United is going to argue that those businesses, those corporations are allowed to spend money how they want to. Okay. It's free speech. So the big overarching thing you need to understand about Citizens United versus FEC is not necessarily about Hillary, the movie and things like that. You need to understand the decision. And the decision was this, okay, money and campaign donations are now tied to free speech. Businesses and corporations are allowed to give money to who they want to, and it can be used for commercials and how they want to use it. And it's all considered free speech. Okay. So you cannot deny those businesses, those corporations and groups like that. Um, free speech and thus the money spending. All righty. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I drank some sweet tea earlier and now it's like trapped in my throat. There's like a grain trapped in my throat or something. It's killing me. I apologize. <clears throat> All right. Lobbying. Uh, this is something that um, interest groups, businesses will do. All right. Um, they don't always have the connections with congressmen. Okay, uh, that they need to help convince the Congress people to do what they want to do when it comes to bills and laws and whatnot. So instead, they will hire a lobbyist. A lobbyist is a profession. You can be a lobbyist when you grow up if you want to. All right. Basically, your goal, your job is to convince congressmen, House members and senators to vote a certain way on an issue, to make changes to a, a bill or law in committee. All right. You're trying. You're, you have to be very persuasive. All right, you have to be very persuasive as a lobbyist. Uh, you're going to do this by talking. You're going to do this by favors. Okay, um, you know it's it's regulated, so it's not as shady as it used to be. Um, but still, it has kind of a, a negative connotation when you hear lobbying sometimes. All right, how a bill becomes a law. Uh, first off, it's introduced. Okay, on the House side, any House member can introduce a bill. On the Senate side, any senator can introduce a bill. Once it's introduced, it goes to a committee. The committee will research it, uh, work on it, and make changes to it, potentially, and then have a vote on it. If they vote favorably, it goes to the full House. It goes to the full Senate. If they vote on it and say yes, all right, uh, it then goes to the other side, and the other side gets to do the same thing. So if it starts on the House side, once the House has passed it, it goes to the Senate. The Senate gets to make changes to it, adjustments to it, all that kind of stuff, and they they goes to the committee, it goes to the full Senate, and then it gets voted on. If they say yes, they take a look at them. If they're the same exact bill, then it can go to the president. If there are any differences, they have to come together and figure those things out. Okay? So who introduces it? House members, senators, doesn't matter. House or Senate on that side. Uh, where does most of the work take place? In the committees. That's where they will work on those things. And then how does it get passed? Um, the president has to sign it. Um, but remember, it has to pass the House. And then has to pass the Senate, and they have to be the same exact bill before they can do that. Committees. Yeah, four you got to know. 
the standing committee. These are permanent committees and they are the big overarching committees uh, and both the House and the Senate has them. Uh, these standing committees will be there from session to session. The Rules Committee on the House side has been there since 1790. Okay, that's a long time for a committee to be there, but it's a standing existing committee. Uh, and they are kind of like the, um, the a section of the, the country, uh, you know, like there's the Environmental Committee, there's Agricultural Committee, things like that. And then under them are some subcommittees that branch off into other smaller things. But that's a standing committee. Every single bill that gets introduced into Congress will go before a standing committee. Select committees. These are special committees. They're on the House and the Senate. Now, these first two do not mix. They never come together. There's no standing House and Senate committee that works together. There's no select House and Senate committee that works together. They are separate. There's House Select Committee and Senate Select Committee. All right. Uh, and these committees will do some kind of investigation. So Watergate, if you remember that with Richard Nixon back in the 70s, the House created a select House committee on Watergate and they did an investigation. Uh, campaign finance, the Senate did a select committee on campaign finance and they investigated that. All right. Usually these lead to some kind of reform. The joint committee is a combinant combination. All right. A joint committee is where they're going to present some kind of study, some kind of information to the American people. A, a good example, this is 9-11 report. All right. The House and the Senate came together. They had members from both the House and the Senate come together and they <clears throat> reported on the findings of, of what they found from 9-11. OK, there's a book. If you look at it, I got the report in my room. It's very boring. Uh, conference committee. This is when they pass two bills that are different. All right. So let's say that I'm a House member. And I submit a bill that I want to have the school day or excuse me, school week knocked down to two week, two days. Five days is too long. Here's two days. We get it passed. It goes to the Senate. The Senate is like two days is too short. Let's go with a four day school week. So now they pass that. So now it's a two day versus four day that can't go to the president because they're different. All right. So we'll come together, House and Senate and members from the, the two committees will meet together and they'll work out the differences. In that case, pretty easy. Let's just go three days. There we go. And then it can go to the president. Okay. So conference committee is going to work out the differences between the bill. Political action committees. These were created once they started uh, limiting how much money people can, can donate. So I have, you know, I'm a rich person. I'm not. Okay. Just, uh, I, I have very little money actually, but uh, let's say and pretend in my wildest dreams that I won the billion dollar lottery from a couple of years ago. So I have a billion dollars just burning a hole in my pocket and I want to donate money to these, these candidates so I can have them in my back pocket or whatever it might be. Okay. So, uh, I, in the past could have given hundred million dollars, whatever. All right. It got regulated though and got stopped. So now I'm limited to like $6,000 that I can donate to a, a candidate, an individual candidate. I have a lot more than $6,000. So I want a billion dollar lottery. All right. Um, so let me give to these, this group over here, this political action committee that I've created or has been created that will then give money to the, the candidate. So it's just a workaround. Basically the, the PACs, the PACs are just workarounds. Some of the limitations that are in place on donations. I can only give a certain amount of money, but I have more than I want to give. So let me give to that group and they'll give it to me. Speaker of the House, where I talked about, they run the House. The 17th Amendment is an important one. Uh, prior to the 17th Amendment, you need to remember that we as citizens did not get to elect our senators. They were picked by our state legislatures. So you would go vote for your state legislature and then they would handpick the senator. All right. Uh, that got changed uh, in the late 1890s, early 1900s. 
uh, with the 17th Amendment. I can't remember exactly when it passed, probably the early 1900s with the progressive movement. But uh, it said, hey, citizens will now elect their senators. So now we get to pick our senators. Blast from the past, necessary and proper clause. We did this back during the Constitution. Remember, this allows Congress to stretch their powers. Okay. So this allows Congress to stretch their powers. You might see it sometimes as the elastic clause, but for this test, you're going to see it as a necessary and proper clause. All righty. Uh, the election cycles, uh, the presidential cycle, it is a four-year process. There are people right now getting ready to run in 2024. Okay. And I know you're like, wow, that's a long way away. Uh, but there are people getting geared up, getting staffs built, trying to start raise money, putting feelers out to decide, should I run, so on and so forth. Congressional cycle, um, is a little bit different on the house side uh you've got people looking at different districts and preparing for runs on the senate side you know they've got six years so that that, that varies a little bit um, but um, the question on the test is going to give you a list of things um, that are happening and you have to decide which election cycle this is from all right we're in what unit we're in the congressional unit so hopefully you can use some common sense there <laughs> <laughs> Last thing is the congressional districts. Yep. Uh, and so this deals with the House. Okay. Uh, every 10 years, there's a census. When that census happens, some states gain people, some states lose people. All right. Uh, I really thought Georgia was going to gain enough population to where we could gain seats. We didn't. When the numbers come in, they decide, based on some formulas, more math than I want to do, how those 435 members of the House are going to be split up. Okay, The 435 is a number that's set in stone. It is there. Unless Congress decides to do something to expand it or whatever it might be, the 435 is staying the same. So we have to work within that number. You have 50 states. You have 435 representatives. How do we split them up? Okay, based on the census numbers, some states will gain seats, other states have to lose seats. That's called reapportionment. Okay, so reapportionment is when we mess with the numbers of the House. So, in this next cycle, I think I read that Florida is going to gain two seats, Texas is going to gain two seats, and I think Arizona is gaining one. So, because they're gaining seats in the House, other states had to have lost them. I'm pretty sure I read that it's New York, Ohio. In one one other state, I can't remember which one. That's reapportionment. That's the reshuffling of the numbers on the of the House of Representative members. Okay, because that happens, they have to redistrict. So Florida at the moment has 27 districts, but they're fixing to go to 29 districts. There's no way for them to have 29 representatives in 27 districts, so they have to redistrict. Okay, New York is going from 27 districts to 26. There's no way for them to keep 27 representatives in 26 districts. That doesn't happen. They, so they have to redistrict. Okay. Redistricting is just the redrawing of the congressional lines. That's all that means. Okay. So reapportionment can happen in a couple of states. It's not going to happen in all 50. Okay. It's never going to happen in all 50. Redistricting, though, will definitely happen in the states to reapportion. But it happens in every state as well. Georgia, even though we're not reapportioning, we're not gaining House members, we're not losing House members, we're still going to redistrict because we did have population shifts in the state. So um, you had um, 
you know, I haven't seen the numbers and the, the trends, but I'm assuming that we have people moving into the metro area, all right, out of the rural area. So there's going to be some population shifts. They're going to have to redraw the lines. The goal of that is to get about one representative per between 700 and 900,000 people, okay? So they're going to redraw those lines. The state legislatures do that. It is not the federal government that redraws these lines. It is the state legislatures. This is why elections matter. State elections matter, all right, because the state legislature is going to draw those lines. Because of this, gerrymandering can happen. Gerrymandering is where lines are drawn to favor one party over the other. Maybe you draw some lines where you kind of uh, take out some one set of voters from a district that you know they're going to be needed in or whatever it might be. But you can draw the lines, you can finagle them and make it to where you kind of ensure that your party remains in power. It is legal. It can happen. But the, the courts can take a look at these lines now and make a decision. And they're not supposed to be drawn along racial lines. You're not supposed to split up voters. You're not supposed to pack voters in. Uh, there's all kinds of kind of stipulations that come now from the courts because they've started to look at uh, the district lines started in the 1960s. All right, guys, there is your review. Uh, please, 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 please remember, I have a pre-scheduled meeting tomorrow. And so I will, we can't test tomorrow because I won't be here. I'll be in, I mean, I'll be in school and I'll be in class, but I have to walk away from a class for a little bit for a meeting that I have to go to. So we're going to test on Friday. Okay. So we're going to test on Friday, the 29th. So please, please, please be aware that I'm not testing on Thursday. We're testing on Friday, the 29th. All right, guys, uh, I hope all is well. Hope you stayed safe on Wednesday, the 27th. And uh, I will see you in class and around school. Y'all take care. Bye-bye.